Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much and welcome to Caregiver SOS on air. Carol Zernio on special assignment today and Peaches Hall is filling in for her and we're delighted to have Peaches here. Uh, she manages the WellMed Charitable Foundation Senior Center, the Griffith Senior Center, uh, and we're delighted to have her here. We've had you before, and thank you for coming in. I always love coming here. Thank you. You spent a lot of time as well running memory units. You've mm-hmm. got a lot of background in dementia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's um, sadly uh, a need throughout the United States, through the world. Yes, yeah, sadly. and growing. Mm, every day. Well, we're delighted to welcome to our Caregiver SOS on Air Hotline, Sierra Campbell, hangs out in New York City, founder and CEO of Nurture Company. And we'll be talking about caring for caregivers, simple ways in which we can support caregivers, nurture them, prevent burnout, which is a huge, huge problem, and get them to show up for work, incentivized to care for their clients, most of whom are elderly. Hey, Sierra, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. How, how did you get in the business of being concerned about and trying to help caregivers? Uh, well, for me, caregiving started very young. I have a really amazing grandmother, maternal grandmother, who was always taking care of her elders, and I became like her right arm, uh, going from house to house. She'd deliver meals, and in our family, we would we always take in our elderly. Um, we, you know, have those hard conversations and welcome them into our home for hospice, um, and we carve that out and in every way, even financially, and that's something that uh, stuck with me as I became an adult. I chose to work in a nursing home at 16 years old, and uh, wow, yeah, and I, I've just, I've always been drawn to it, and I've always wanted more young people to be drawn to it and to know about it as well. Now, it's interesting to hear you say that because your degree is in computer science and geographic information systems from Indiana University, and you serve on the faculty of Singularity uh, University's Exponential Medicine Conference. Uh, how do you go from computer science, geographic information, uh, to the kind of work you're in now? When I got out of my, uh, when I completed my undergraduate degree in 2001, all of the industries that I interned with or that I uh, went to work for for a month or two, they were extremely male-dominated and they weren't fun. And I wasn't, I, 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 oh, I had this memory uh, of working with the elderly. I did that through high school and through college. I put myself through college and was a, was a home caregiver for most of my undergrad. So I had a handful of really amazing elderly women that I would visit at their retirement home. And I just, you know, I, and I think we see this more with younger generations. I was more driven by what I love to do what's fulfilling than having a huge paycheck and working, in my case, working with 90, 90 to 95% men, which is what I was seeing in, with my degree. That's what was available to right. me. Right. 
And they're just not fun. I understand that. I agree. I think they can be fun, but uh. those work environments weren't the kind of fun I was really looking for at 21, 22. And one of the things you did in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, uh, you founded and ran a non-medical end-of-life home care company, and you were using community-based models employing mindfulness. <clears throat> That's the hot topic these days. Compassionate care modalities and a whole lot more. Uh, what, what led you into that direction? Well, during my undergraduate, I suffered a, uh, a pretty serious car accident where I had to learn to walk again. Someone rear-ended me going about 60 miles per hour, and that I was 18 years old, and I, I had to navigate sort of the eastern and western medicine tracks that were best for myself. Um, I really didn't want to do surgery. I didn't want to have my cervical vertebrae used. I fractured C1 to C7. Wow. And so I, I spent time really, in many ways, feeling what it's like to be confined to your bed when your mind is really active and you want to do all these things, which is in some ways what it's like for a lot of our elders. Uh, I luckily came through that and found, uh, I found everything from yoga, Reiki, acupuncture, very effective modalities that I brought with me into the retirement homes. And I got to practice those with elders, mostly women, and they started feeling better, having better energy, and I had uh, elderly women love to talk. They love to gossip, and when they have something good, they love to share it. Uh, so I've, I found myself really fortunate that I started with three clients, and in three months I had 26 at the, this particular retirement home. Well, Peaches, in her work, leads several classes in all kinds of physical activities. She's a, a trainer who gets uh, folks who are members at her senior center from age 60 on up uh, on the floor and moving and shaking. I love it. Yeah, it's amazing what, that uh, somebody somewhere is telling people when they're over 60 they can't get on the ground. Um, and once you do that, you can't get up. So <laughs> we're, we're making sure they know better. One of the things that... Now, wait a minute. I resemble that. <laughs> One of the things you speak to that's really interesting to me is um, finding ways to incentivize um, the staff for people. And tell me some of the ideas that you have on that. Well, um, in 2001, when, from my experience, what I created is that once I had about 26 elderly women that I, uh, I was working with and I started to hire a staff, I went out in the community and opened a yoga studio. And that yoga studio became... Uh, I gave all of my caregivers free classes, uh, and just having, I incentivized them by, by going out in the community and creating partnerships as well. I went to the theater, uh, and I asked the theater, you know, can I buy, uh, like, 50 for everyone's family? I thought, you know, can I do this, can I incentivize my caregivers by creating competitions for uh, how they show up for their elders? and then award them with these different gift certificates from the community. And I was really surprised that the community said, we'll just give them to you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for serving the elderly. And I created partnerships with that with it, local theaters, gyms, uh, my own yoga studio, dance studios. I was really surprised to find that the community really wanted to support my work. 
so I incentivized them by creating internal competitions. And I think now this is before the era of uh, the step counters, like Fitbits. I think those are an excellent way to incentivize um, your work staff. Is how active are they? Helping them create wellness goals, helping them achieve them, and rewarding them with gift certificates that they can use within the community. Stay with us just a minute. I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in today for Carol Zerniel. We're talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Sierra Campbell, founder and CEO of Nurture Company. We're talking about the work she does uh, aiding caregivers who are aiding predominantly uh, seniors. You know, the Fitbit is just a modern version of the old pedometer that uh, folks used to wear. Same idea, count steps. You, you know, one of the the um, programs that I had that I really liked is, um, you know, our caregivers get paid so poorly. And so to always find ways to bring up their, their income was always an interest to me. And so if you find a company that will support you and help you do that, I was able to let them buy back their PTO. So many times it, if you could set it up like just before school starts and just before Christmas and they could buy it out, they could buy, you know, their Christmas gifts and put their kids back into going to school. So, you know, there's if companies were looking at ways to incentivize their staff, they keep them longer, and the keeping them longer uh, gives better care. Absolutely. I love that. I, we created a partnership with uh, a local community college that had a nursing degree a program. Nice. And so we had really, uh, that created, um, I was able to find, I, I, for a while I felt like a matchmaker. I was really matchmaking these nursing students who even needed housing. And they, could, they were in school for about a year and a half to two years, which is the relative time that the elder would be under our care. And they would actually live together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way to really incentivize if you can create a program like that, if you're mm-hmm. doing home care. Um, but we were also able to create uh, subsidies within uh, Ivy Tech. So if they worked for us for two years, they were able to gain extra credit based on experience, hands-on experience in the field mm-hmm. of caregiving. Yeah, that's great. I, I remember uh, years ago we used to be able to, um, you know, it was so easy to have somebody come in and to do CNA classes, and, of course, that's not possible. What's CNA? To get their certified nursing you know, assist, assistance license, and you could have them going to school right there on your property. Um, a lot of people have gotten away from all of that or getting away from the bonuses, and the bonuses were a great program for them. Yeah, I find that a lot of uh, agencies in the home care and, uh, you know, just in the market right now feel like they don't have the margins to incentivize through through money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's very concerning. Uh, there are a handful, hopefully more than a handful, that don't feel that way. But I'm seeing more and more of that fear of margins. Um, but they're also complaining about their turnover rate. So they have to give or else they're going to break. Oh, yeah, the turnover is what kills everything. Uh, it's terrible. Well, who are the people who are uh, going into that uh, profession as uh, caregivers? And not surprising to see the turnover rate because of the way they're managed and compensated. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and a lot of times it's out of necessity. Maybe they don't find another job somewhere else. But, you know, when they come in your door and you interview them, you can tell if people have skills and if they this is the right position for them. But there's not a lot of people looking at that right now. How do we fix that, Sierra? Well, one way I'm working on fixing that is uh, going kind of infiltrating younger generations. Um, focusing on, you know, right now, NurtureCo is a platform for agencies, and so they can run their entire business on our SaaS platform, but we go an extra step for caring for the caregivers. We give the caregivers a lot of, t- a lot of tools for their own stress management, and we're helping agencies in Arizona, California, and Indiana. Those are the three states right now. We're focusing on youth initiatives where we're targeting high schools, community colleges, with nursing programs, and helping these agencies connect with a younger work staff. I want to find out how you do that in just a minute. Stick with us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is filling in today for Carol Zerniel, who is on special assignment. And we're talking on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline with Sierra Campbell, founder and CEO of NurtureCo. Ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, a nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. And make a note, this program, Caregiver SOS On Air, comes immediately after WellMed Radio. On 9.30 a.m. The Answer, WellMed Radio airs at 5 p.m. And this program, Caregiver SOS On Air, airs at 6 p.m. And podcasts of all of our shows are available for you to download, listen to, and share with others. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our special guest host today, our co-host Peaches Hall, filling in for Carol Zerniel. And we're talking with Sierra Campbell, founder and CEO of uh, NurtureCo. She's in New York City, and we're talking about how her company helps caregivers and others. And you were talking, uh, Sierra, a moment ago about how, how you can help link caregiving companies with younger people. How do you do that? Well, one way is we have to reach them where they are, and they are inside of their phones. So we have to find ways uh, through social media, everything from Snapchat, Instagram, not as much Facebook for younger generations, but those campaigns are really important. Um, We are also promoting a movie that I, I find just really wonderful called Alive Inside, and Dr. Bill Thomas uh, helped produce the movie, and he's a geriatrician, and he focuses on connecting young people with elders in residential homes, sharing each other's generations of music. 
And I think we really reach these younger generations to connect them with our elders through music, dance, and the arts. And I'm not talking bingo and the things I used to do in the nursing homes when I was 16 years old. I used to uh, light cigarettes inside. They were allowed to smoke inside. This is in Indiana. And facilitate bingo and exercise. And those days, I pray, are over. You know, I think well, a lot of them are still playing bingo. I know. <laughs> so we discourage that. You know, nobody plays bingo at home. I know it's kind of a communal activity, but those are some of the ways that we're going about connecting and interviewing. And also this interview process. We aren't having people come in to the physical office as much as we're using technology to interview uh, candidates for job positions. Peaches, you were frowning when we mentioned bingo. <laughs> yeah, we we offer it twice a week at the center, but um, yeah, it's popular only, only twice because I think it's a lazy. But, but isn't it popular? Very, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we um, we only play five games each time, and we do it for decent prizes. You know, they get gift cards, but leave them wanting more. Yes. <laughs> That's why they love it, the prizes. Yes. I used to give them candy. <laughs> well, there you are. <laughs> Great for the teeth. <laughs> yeah, they get gift cards at our center. It's pretty nice. Yeah, exactly. For healthy things. <laughs> and as you think, Sierra, about uh, the population surge of the baby boomers, 10,000 a day turning 65, uh, more and more folks living into their 80s and 90s and soon more and more into their hundreds, the need for qualified, professional caregivers is growing exponentially because we're running out of family caregivers. Absolutely. This, uh, so I have, uh, from, you know, it's been over 20 years that I've been a caregiver, and the kind of training, you know, I focus on non-medical home care. I obviously, you know, as we mentioned, I love practicing mindful, mindfulness, yoga, meditation, breathing practices, and more arts with elders. Um, these activities are just more conducive to, uh, to, uh, to everyone having a great experience. And would you go ahead and, and just rephrase that question? I got a little, a little sidetracked. Well, well I'm, I'm talking about the growing numbers of folks living now into their 80s and 90s and hundreds who will need caregivers, uh, but we've run out of slowly but surely uh, family caregivers. There aren't enough daughters and sons and uncles and aunts and sisters and brothers who are going to fill that role. So we really do need a core of professional, highly trained caregivers. Uh, okay, I, I absolutely agree with that. Something we've done at Nurture Co. is that we have we we have an intake for each elder, and the caregiver fills out this intake over time. They, we ask them very specific questions about their health and wellness. We have them create goals with the elder. And our source of training are on-demand videos. So if the elder needs anything from um, a fall prevention plan or they are post-hip operation, we have non-medical approaches that are all aligned with state trainings that give the caregiver very specific instructions of what they need when the elder needs it. I, what I'm finding is that the majority of caregivers get into this profession without any training. Right. So, That's correct. 
So when you say this, like, you know, we want this ideal training, you look at the, the Red Cross and someone, I mean, really is how many people who are going to make minimum wage or $15 per hour can afford a $1,200 CNA training? It's nearly impossible. So that- we're kind of relying on the residential centers to train the home care staff. And they should. They should be. There should be a training every week. I absolutely agree that there should be trainings. Um, The way that we're approaching that um, at Nurture Co. is that a lot of our trainings are online. So it's a blended, uh, the agency has their own training, their their own culture. It's very important that every agency has their culture, their identity, their messaging, and their brand. Beyond that, it's, you know, I really want the caregiver to have the tools they need when they need it. So we do that on demand, and it it literally pops up in their cell phone or the iPad in the house. Now, residential centers, that seems so easy to me uh, because I have focused on home care, where most home care agencies don't even have an office. So like you said, Peaches, they need to come in every week. In home care, we're dealing with an industry that doesn't even have a place for their workers to necessarily come and be trained. Agreed. Now, are there standards, federal, state, or local, uh, for folks who are home care providers? Absolutely. And like I, I mentioned, many of the caregivers have actually been trained in residential centers, and so they have a, a basic home health aid or health aid uh, license or a, a certification or um, maybe a CNA. But they're, they usually obtain those through another employer. That's what I believe really needs to stop, that home care agencies need to take a portion of their margins and focus, not just on education, but the health and wellness of their employees. And if, and if a lot of the um, assisted livings, independent livings, and home um, uh, residential living pull together instead of being so separate, that they could even have them group together and train in different areas so that it takes the burden off of one center. I know when I ran um, memory care units, every week you were hiring somebody because if you have uh, you know, enough rooms, you, you're going to turn over. But we, were, we trained every single week for new employees and we trained every month for our standard and it has to stay that way the only way you can get around that is if some of your other centers are pooling together and and using that education she's peaches hall our co-host today on caregiver sos on air i'm ron aaron if you've just joined us you're listening to us on 9:30 a.m the answer and we appreciate that talking on our caregiver sos on air hotline with sierra campbell founder and ceo of Nurture Co. And the name of your company is interesting. I think of Nurture Co. a big bowl with skim milk and strawberries on top. Really? <laughs> a Nurture Co. As a, a cereal, a, yes. As a cereal. Yeah. <laughs> How did you come up with the name? Uh, well, I sat down with um, a group of friends after I was out of home care for about five years before I began to build the software that we are, we're now launching. Uh, it was a, a, almost three years ago, and they took me through a workshop of about five hours. Um, this is a group of friends that are all entrepreneurs, and they said, you know, if you really boil down what the kind of care you gave to elders, what's most important to you, how can you really distill that in one word? And I thought, well, that's easy, nurture. And I think that's what we're really lacking in, in 
elder care uh, in general. I think it's, a very, it's one of the most important pieces, and it's something that, for me, I'm in this because I would love to see more elders receive a higher standard of care and attract more young people to this industry. Now, tell us about the software that you're developing, and uh, did I understand correctly, about to roll out, or have you, ha- you have already rolled it out? We've rolled it out to a few beta agencies, and so we'll, we'll roll this out more broadly in September. Now, beta, for those who don't know, are test facilities where they get to use it and work out the bugs. Yeah, they get to work out the bugs, but they also get to, because uh, I, I was very strategic with this. I wanted our beta to be successful, so I chose some smaller agencies that have between 25 and 150 caregivers, and you know, I, I went to the business owners and said they were very unhappy with their current software. They felt like there's no help, there's no support, and there's no training. Uh, so they basically, the agreement has been, we get to build and design this for your needs. Uh, so from the ground up, we've been able to work with agencies whose caregivers are in the field, uh, giving us feedback about how, uh, just how, how to be a more responsive, better better platform, both for caregivers, care managers, and elders. And what's included in that software? What, what are you delivering? We're delivering scheduling and management tools. Uh, we're, the, my favorite part of our software is that we're delivering inline uh, trainings and education. So as I mentioned before, we deliver what the, what the elder needs. If it's a certain practice, we believe in wellness practices. You know, if, if your back is hurting or if you're working to prevent falls and overcome the fear of falling, we have daily practices that the caregiver facilitates one-to-one with the elder. Um, so all of our, our platform is one-to-one elder care. So we, we specialize in home care. And we do all the, you know, the billing, ADP, QuickBooks, all of that stuff too. We're going to talk more about this in just a moment. She is Sierra Campbell, founder and CEO of Nurture Co. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Peaches Hall, who is pinch-hitting today for Carol Zerniel, who is on special assignment. You hear us at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. Well, we thank you so much for being with us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Peaches Hall is here today filling in for Carol Zerniel. Peaches is the uh, director of the Griffin Senior Center, and she also has a tremendous amount of experience in managing memory units that have cared for folks with dementia from mild to uh, serious. And we're talking with Sierra Campbell on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline, founder and CEO of Nurture Co. And we had just begun talking about software that uh, she has designed and is rolling out in a beta form and soon to be made available, I'm assuming, widely to uh, home health care agencies? Absolutely, yes, in the U.S. And uh, I'm most excited by this platform because it's built by caregivers for caregivers. Every business owner that I've spoken with really struggles with their employees wanting to use technology. And we've done, I think, a really good job of overcoming those barriers of entry and incentivizing caregivers to actually not just want to clock in and clock out, but be engaged with their own health and wellness, and of course the elders that they're serving. And how large is this library and what does it cover? We cover the top 10 health concerns that elders face, arthritis, fall prevention, uh, drug addiction, um, 
heart disease, congestive heart failure. Uh, so we have care protocols that have been, I've utilized myself and I've consulted with geriatricians and physical therapists. And these are pretty lightweight. By lightweight, I mean um, we're focusing on non-medical home care. Mm-hmm. So and do you, do you cover things like, I know when you train a caregiver who's never done it before and you're really trying, it's so difficult for them to shower someone. Does it go into even showering? Absolutely. Oh, good. And yes, and I, I've recently just filmed uh, some videos that are, these aren't the videos that the caregivers receive in line when they're in shift, but they're for their trainings. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how when you least expect it as a caregiver, and I, this has happened to me dozens of times, I've had a great relationship with my client, and all of a sudden I'm bathing them, and it's like something flips inside of them, and they become abusive. Mm-hmm. And as a caregiver, you can take that so personally that you never want to caregive again. Right. And, um, you know, I, it's like being a mother and your kids throwing a tantrum and saying mean things and they're hurtful. Uh, so we're covering these kinds of experiences that caregivers have, and we're covering uh, everything from how to dress the wound. Mm-hmm. Now, in some, and, and we have to be careful because in some states, that's not non-medical. Mm-hmm. And when you're changing, uh, especially if you're using, you know, young um, people that are right out of high school, it's difficult for them to learn how to change someone. Yeah, absolutely. And how to assist elders with walking. There mm-hmm. are lots of different tools out there. Right now we have seven different videos of uh, different assistive devices. And everything from when you're communicating with an elder being mindful that coming down to their level if they're in a chair, uh, being able to speak clearly and loudly. Mm-hmm. These kinds of things are things we overlook but are very important. Right, not coming up from behind and having more space on the side. Yeah. Now, are you producing, writing, and uh, filming these videos yourself? We are, yes. And are they available ultimately to others outside of your network of agencies? We haven't opened that up yet. I think as our company becomes more mature, we will. Uh, but for now, we're looking at uh, which agencies want to be, or, you know, really want to use this Nurture Co curriculum and content. Will you, and, will you go? And we've all, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry go will you go outside of residential care homes and go into assisted livings with them? Yes, absolutely. We're, we are not residential at all. We're actually um, home care. Okay. So these are for home care agencies and independent and assisted living. Mm-hmm. And then eventually to go to memory care? Yes, absolutely. We actually have a few people on staff who they help me with all of this content. They are masters and PhD level in um, therapies with elders with dementia. Mm. So we have a lot of videos of how to create a space for creative arts within someone's home and how to be with, you know, this practice of just being with someone and not trying to get them to do something because a dementia patient is not going to do anything that they don't want to do. And so really just being with that elder, um, we can learn so much about ourselves. And that's the part of caring for the caregiver is that... uh, you know, it's my goal that we nurture the caregiver and remind them to not take things personally, always do their best, and to communicate with their teammates on the care of that elder. Usually we have, you know, one agency will, or one elder within an agency will have two or three caregivers. 
caring for them at one, you know, within one week's time. Yeah, and the training is so, you know, if you can take one caregiver that's good with that that patient and bring another new one in to show them the, the ropes on that, that's so much better. You know, they just really need that, that uh, um, experience of being with someone who's confident. Absolutely. We've developed Nurture Co. so that agencies can create their own content as well. Mm-hmm. And you can go in for specific, uh, specific, a specific elder, and let's say, um, like, if it's something as simple as where the dog bowl needs to go, you know, how to care for the pet, mm-hmm. or if it's something specific about how to put on their compression stockings, one, you know, caregiver or a family member can make a video, and that can be then distributed to the caregiver when the elder needs it in their, their schedule of daily activities. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Uh, I had uh, knee replacement surgery uh, well back in January and had to wear a compression hose. Uh, not easy to put on at all. Not at all. You would think it would be, you know, just pull it on, but it doesn't work that way. They're hard to take off, too. Yeah, harder to take Well, easier to take off than yes. put on. That's for sure. Well, as you think about it, we've got a couple of minutes or so left, Sierra. As you think about the kind of work you're doing, uh, what's the next step for you, the next level of, of your professional career? The next step for me is, uh, you know, the, the last few years have been building this, this uh, software. It's, uh, so it's been a great learning experience for me to get back into computer science. Um, the next, I think I have more of that to do. I'm really enjoying, I, you know, I, as you mentioned earlier, how did I go into caregiving from computer science? Now I'm able to engage that, that part of myself, this compu- the computer scientist that I think I put on the back burner for a long mm-hmm. time. So my next phase is listening to thousands of caregivers and agency owners and developing software that will help, help them deliver a higher standard of care. And for those families where, and this is still the majority, the caregiver uh, is a son or a daughter or a spouse. Uh, are you able to interact with them at all and provide some of this training? It, it would be so important and helpful to them. Absolutely. That's something that is on our roadmap for 2019. Um, we have 40 million plus caregivers, family caregivers that are unpaid, and I, I would love to be able to put this technology into all of their hands so they feel resourced and that they have a support network or what, what they're providing for their own family member. Just throw it all up on YouTube. Well, <laughs> I do have <laughs> investors. <laughs> now, I wasn't suggesting you just give it away. <laughs> but for the family caregiver, uh, especially uh, the senior who's the spouse who's caring for, uh, in most cases, a woman caring for a husband, uh, it's a heck of a challenge. And as you pointed out early on as we were talking, Sierra Campbell, most people just fall into caregiving, whether it's as uh, a profession working for a company or, or in a family. Uh, you get the call from uh, the NICU and, uh, you know, they say, well, guess what? Grandpa's here. We need your help today. That's when you become a caregiver. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just with no training. training. Right, no training, you're just trying to figure it out, and then it's inevitably, that can be extremely exhausting. So that's on my radar, absolutely, that's important to me, um, that family caregivers are resourced, but that will be about a year from now. 
Peaches, what do you think? I think it's wonderful. I th- you know, I think anytime there's interest in, uh, in further training our, our people who care for our most important, our seniors, is great. What kind of response do you get from uh, uh, the community that you're living in? Are, are you, and I realize you're working nationwide, but uh, do you get some support from uh, local government officials in New York? Oh, you know, what's, um, I, haven't, I haven't explored that, local government officials. What I have been exploring, because my, my roots are in Indiana, my family's there, I grew up there, uh, and my business, my first business was there. I have uh, a lot of support for high school programs for grants. This is something that we, we've been looking at at NurtureCo, is uh, how to bring someone on board to write grants that, where we can incentivize more young people. Uh, and get them out in the workforce. So I've had more luck there, but I've just recently, literally like in the last week, focused on that in the state of New York. And and it seems to be there. There seems to be uh, the possibility of receiving a lot of support for that. I would think the area agencies on aging would be interested in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Be a good good avenue to explore. Do you find once you get a couple kids from a school that they are the best form of information that they bring their friends to try to train to do the same thing? I wish. No, I find that it's in nursing programs, yes, but not not high school. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're talking 18 to 25. Mm -hmm. Yes. Why did you get involved so early on? You were a teenager. Well, one kid in my, it was a very random experience in high school. Someone turned around in my French class and said, hey, my sister volunteers at the nursing home. I think you'd really like it there. I said, oh, really? And um, I was just about like a week away from getting my first car and turning 16. And the deal from my parents was if you're going to get a car, you have to help pay for it. You have to go to work right away. And that seemed like a much better idea than working in a restaurant, flipping burgers, or anything else, and I, I loved it from day one. And did you stick with French? I a little bit. Just uh, <laughs> <Je> comme <laughs> <peu>, huh? <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and back home again in Indiana, you still try to get back there? Absolutely. Yeah. We, I, my, my brother has three children, and I have, um, I still have a few elderly clients that I, that are are still here, and I go visit hmm. them about twice a year. And, um, you know, that's been a really special part of my life is to have these elderly women who are a source of wisdom and support. Um, and some of them are in their late 90s. Uh, I'll go celebrate my grandmother's 90th birthday. In cool. And, and we've got about a minute or so left for those who are listening to Caregiver SOS on air who are new to being a caregiver. Talk for a moment or two about mindfulness and how it can help deal with the stress that comes with caregiving. Not taking things personally. I feel, you know, when you're a caregiver, even if you're residential or home care, you've become part of someone's family, and they become part of your family, too. And so it's so easy to take things very personally when things go sideways, you know, whether that's dressing or bathing or, you know, and they can often be in a very small space together. So mindfulness practices help you as a caregiver nourish and nurture you and your own energy. So it really helps you focus on your own health and wellness. Now, do you have a website for folks who want to learn more about Sierra Campbell and your company? Yes, it's just nurture.co. And if they have a choice of one video out of yours, what do you recommend for them to to watch first? 
Wow, well, we, we haven't put up uh, unless you're in an agency. Um, but so when, maybe you, when you do that, which, uh, what's your first? The first would be breath work, learning to breathe with your entire lung capacity. Mm-hmm. That's called pranayama and yoga. Right. I take, I, I, I take yoga. I love it. I'm <laughs> not very great. flexible or good at it, but I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it's good interesting. for you, isn't it? Oh, it is good for me. Uh, and, and you do shut the world out for about an hour, which is uh, pretty neat. Hey, Sierra Campbell, it was fun talking with you, and we thank you for coming on, and we hope to talk again soon. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Sierra Campbell is the founder and CEO of Nurture Co. And uh, Peaches Hall, thank you. Enjoyed talking with you and appreciate you pinch hitting for Carol Zerniel. Thank you. That's so great to be here every time. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman and moi. Right here on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You know. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well... I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We are so pleased you were with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of every program, we jump to a segment we call Take 10. It features Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist and expert in addictions and caregiving. Our co-host Carol Zerniel is here, and I'm Ron Aaron. And Carol, you have a topic that when you first threw it out off air to Jamie, it sounds more like combat post-military, PTSD. Well, you know, I recently ran into a family that did have someone in the military that deployed uh, and but it was for a short period of time when they came back they did have PTSD it, which made me think about the impact of trauma and you know, uh, you know we, we've talked to caregivers who've been caregivers for years or family members that have been battling diseases for years um, you can have a single event. So I'm just wondering about the nature of, um, like, PTSD, people that suffer after effects from really bad things that happen or things that happen. I don't know. Maybe it's not really bad. Can you talk a little bit about PTSD and what it is and, and you know, do we is everything PTSD that I've just been describing? This is a great topic, Carol. I'm glad you, you actually got this one because – Interesting enough, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, it's, it's, it's pretty pandemic, if you will, throughout our population, not simply just caregivers, because trauma, which is any sort of episodic event that either occurs to you or you can witness, if you will, like a life-threatening event, um, really happens from childhood on, and it's often untreated and it's often repressed, and people develop symptoms from post-traumatic stress disorder um, and they may not even know it's that because 
it, it's all depends upon the intensity of the trauma and how close you are to the trauma. Um, and the, the fact is how you were before the trauma. If you had two feet on the ground taking care of yourself, good self-esteem, usually you'll come out of the traumatic period in that fashion. But if you weren't taking care of yourself, trauma can debilitate and can um, paralyze. So let me see if I can find an example from childhood. Um, you know, I'll, I'll use my own family. My, you know, my mother was sick off and on when I was a kid. And so we, my sister and I would go for fairly long periods where she wasn't really engaged with us. You know, we were safe. We had food. We had, you know, the things we needed. But she wasn't really emotionally engaged with us because she wasn't well. You know, is that something that, you know, may have left a little stamp on us, whether we knew it or not? Because my sister and I can tell you, don't think we have a little mark. Well, it also depends upon the age. What was it, what, how old were you? What was very young. Very, we're talking very young. Like so under very five. Very young. Okay. It could be a trauma. Again, this is things that the wonder of therapy can help like peel the onion to find out if it's trauma because there is definite interventions for trauma. But also some of the things that you described could also kind of weigh into our personalities and not be trauma. Um, and later on, you know, that feeling of being, let's say, detached or, you know, I hate to use it, but the word abandoned sometimes from a significant other can create personality traits later on. And that's what therapy is all about because it's also treatable and it's, it's something that, that we can actually go within and come out on the bright side. Well, I'm going to go with personality because my husband's noticed I can go all the way from Texas to Wisconsin and not say a word. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm perfectly content to just sit. I'm someone I can sit for very long periods of time doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know, that's interesting because, you know, as a psychologist, um, I can actually treat trauma. There's several ways of doing it. But I did also experience, uh, I'm sure, traumatic events as a child. And so I actually am just like that, too. I kind of repress and I try to manage things around me. And uh, my therapist says, you know, I'm not open with the with the events that happened in childhood like you just were well so if you're if you're a caregiver or you're a you know mm -hmm. a family member of someone who seems to have ptsd and you're thinking why do they have ptsd you know they they weren't gone that long or it didn't seem that traumatic to me i mean that doesn't matter does it it's really about the person yeah. It does not matter and i think we should also delineate something which is important because caregivers also suffer from another traumatic experience which is called compassion fatigue and the difference between post-traumatic stress disorder where it's an external trauma either we're involved with or life-threatening event or we're actually we're observing compassion fatigue is from within it's kind of trauma that would never resolve in ourselves so when a caregiver becomes very burnt out they can also exhibit symptoms of ptsd but instead of being an external trauma it's actually coming from within as an internal trauma. That's the difference between compassion fatigue and post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. Carol Zorniel, our co-host, is here as well. And I'm wondering, for a child, can PTSD be triggered by one event? I'm one of those kids who grew up in the Norman Rockwell world of Everything was great. The cereal was always crisp. 
The milk was fresh. The the table was set. The strawberries were cut perfectly. I hope you had ruffled curtains. Otherwise, I'm going to be we sorely disappointed. We, we and I thought we I thought we were brothers from another mother, but that uh, was exactly the opposite. Oh, no. Everything was just perfect, except that one night when the phone rang in the middle of the night in a house where there was one phone, because why would you need more? And if the phone rang in the middle of the night, it was never good. And my dad's drugstore was burning down. I remember it like it's happening right now. And that is indelible. And that is untreated, or should I say, maybe you have not gotten in touch with some of the interventions that can deal with trauma. That is exactly a trauma. That is dead on. In fact, we don't even remember, Ron and Carol, you know, much memories before what, three years old, four years old? Yet trauma can be occurring at childbirth to four years old, and we don't even know, but it gets repressed. And also, by the way, just so you know, uh, theories and data has backed up the fact that trauma, if left untreated, can become intergenerational, which means you kind of hand the symptoms down. For instance, my father is a Holocaust survivor, and he never sought out therapy. And what he did was basically pass a lot of the traumatic symptoms and events down to my sister and myself. So what does that look like when you say passed it down? What does that mean? Well, it's kind of the, it's, it's dysfunction. It really is. It's, it's about codependency where, okay. let's say, our behavior evolves and revolves around either a person who's ill or a person who has trauma. Um, and it's not quite authentic. And what we develop is behaviors to be able to manage that person. And then we develop roles in codependency, like the hero, the scapegoat, the mascot. But we're not acting in an authentic way. We're instead kind of responding to untreated trauma in our father or our mother, or like Ron says, even in something that he may have witnessed and, and was a part of but can't explain today. Right. So what would you say to the people who say, oh, that's hocus-pocus, that's, you know, childhood trauma, flee, flee, flee? What would you say to those I people? Do. I'm a huge believer that almost every behavioral health challenge, from addictions to psychiatric issues of depression and bipolar, um, has some undercurrent, underpinning of trauma. I just can't imagine a lifetime at all without some episodic two-by-four hitting us at a time when we least suspect it and us not necessarily getting help for it. So I think that trauma is huge, and our society is looking for ways to obviously treat it. My nephew came back also from Iraq, just like your family member, uh, uh, Carol, and he was there for a short period of time, and he still suffers from PTSD. But it doesn't have to be wartime. It truly doesn't. We see it happening in our lifetimes just the way Ron described it. So what I'm hearing you say, the bottom line of all this PTSD discussion is, you know, really to kind of get in touch with, if you see someone that seems to have PTSD or if you have this, you know, anxiety and dysfunction in your life, that, you know, working on it really might help. Absolutely, because what happens is you're going to start drinking, you're going to start medicating it, you're going to look to harm yourself sometimes or others. These are all symptoms of, of trauma, untreated uh, you'll pull away from people and become isolated. I mean, this all seems to mirror what we discuss sometimes with caregiver burnout that then progresses to compassion fatigue. Those symptoms are so similar. But we as therapists really have ways to deal with the trauma. So hope springs eternal. If you do feel you have any of these symptoms, please, please call a trauma-trained therapist. I like that. I'll get a phone number for my wife. 
you go. For caregiving. That is a trauma. Caregiving counseling. Being married to you. Yeah. She said the other day she's discovered she has no compassion. (laughs) No big deal. Hey, thanks for joining us on this. Dr. Jamie, this was great. Why don't we do it again next week? Love to, love to. Take 10 right here on Caregiver SOS On Air with Carol Zernil and Ron Aaron. We'll talk with you soon. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.